Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Well, welcome to episode 20 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your fabulous co-hosts as always. Today, we have Peyton Moran here as a guest host, and he's one of our transportation planners at Modern Mobility Partners. And he's going to speak on the importance of project evaluation and prioritization in the planning process. So Peyton, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, he's going to walk through four steps for project evaluation and prioritization in the planning process. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. So often the cost for existing and potential projects will far outnumber the amount of funding that you actually have available to implement those projects and the funding usually outlined in your transportation improvement program, your capital improvement program, or some other operating capital budget that your agency has. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Kirsten, but have you ever encountered, and you know, I've been in the industry 25 years now, and I don't think I've ever seen a surplus of funds. There's never enough money. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. The uh, costs far outweigh the revenue streams, and um, yeah, I've never seen a city council or, you know, county commission board just like look for ways that they could spend their money. So yeah, it's definitely yeah. a challenge. Yeah, and I don't think that a lot of people recognize or understand how costly these transportation projects are millions and millions and in some cases billions of dollars if they're major major infrastructure projects yeah I mean you know we've worked on several recent projects where we have to try to not try we fiscally constrain the plan and when you have millions sometimes billions of dollars um, and far less in revenue that makes it extremely difficult to figure out, you know, what goes where and what the priorities are. And that's why we're talking about this today to, you know, have a data driven approach to um, evaluation, prioritization. And then, you know, you integrate your public input into that process as well. And, um, you know, it's just it's it's a it's a very detailed process. Yeah, and it's got to be defendable and transparent. That's right. So, um, And so we're not the only ones that feel that way. The National Association of City Transportation Officials, or NACTO, agrees, and they discuss this in their prioritizing projects with the most impact for your city, and we'll have that in the show notes. Um, but as we discussed, in almost every case, project cost estimate totals from a plan will far outweigh the available funds. And so deciding which projects to elevate over others really can become a challenging but necessary process. Yeah. And I mean, Peyton, you and I have worked on several fiscally constrained plans and the evaluation and moving these projects from tier one to tier two and back to tier one. And if we move it here, <laughs> what do we move? need to move out? Yeah. There's always trade-offs for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, overall, the role of project prioritization is really to help guide which project recommendations are most urgent and relevant for the general public's and agency's needs. 
including project evaluation and prioritization in the planning process, really optimizes it by considering a project screening and hierarchy. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what this means for the public. Ultimately, project evaluation and prioritization leverages information, data, and opinions from the public, like I mentioned before, to decide the types and number of projects that an area will see. So essentially, as planners, we're trying to create a plan that's responsive to the needs and the the desires of the community. Um, As we've mentioned several times before in a lot of our episodes, the importance of having a strong public engagement as part of the plan. And the role of this participation is most meaningful when your citizens are engaged in the process, they enter a partnership with decision makers and planners for the outcomes of the process. And this can really help ensure that the plan reflects those communities' desires. So it's really critical that you know the public be a part of the process, be a part of the evaluation prioritization, understand what the goals and objectives of the of the plan are and how the projects can reflect and achieve those goals. Yeah. And so finally, the outcomes of the prioritization process will ultimately get into an agency's capital improvement plan, transportation improvement plan, and taxpayers' dollars will help fund these projects. In some cases, projects like this, especially, you know, countywide plans like comprehensive transportation plans, the project list will actually get incorporated into a special local option sales tax or a SPLOST. And the taxpayer dollars from the sales that occur in that county is what's funding the entirety of that project list. Yeah. And I would just add that anytime you have a SPLOST, we've seen that they're usually most successful when you do have a transparent and defendable way of prioritizing projects on that list because the public wants to know how did you pick these projects? Why did you pick these projects? You know, where's my money going? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's exactly the process that Gwinnett County is taking currently mm-hmm. is thinking through their comprehensive transportation plan and selecting the project recommendations for their for their SPLOS, the ones that will be implemented first. Yeah make sense. So what is our role as transportation planners? Um, It's our job and obligation to ensure that the public, specifically the communities that are most impacted by a project, are involved in the overarching planning process. But most importantly, when it comes to the project evaluation and prioritization techniques, that gets back to Kelly's point about being transparent and defendable. Um, We really need to ensure that the public, our stakeholders, understand this process, understand the measures that we're using and how they reflect back to the goals and objectives of the plan. It's also our role to take a holistic approach for determining project evaluation and prioritization criteria, really focusing on the benefits to the community. Um, And as outlined by the Federal Highway Administration and Federal Transit Agency's planning emphasis areas, this process can include all eight components relating to Mm -hmm. tackling climate, equity, complete streets, public involvement, the straw net, and the Department of Defense coordination, federal land management agency coordination, planning and environmental linkage, and data. 
So all all yeah. eight emphasis areas can be reflected in your evaluation and prioritization. It's not to say they all have to be, but if you're an MPO or you're a state and you're doing your long range plan, you you really need to make sure that you're accounting for for these. Mm-hmm. These are all challenges that are facing communities across the U.S. It's and it's it's our role to reduce those impacts and challenges to the best of our ability, and ultimately we do so through project evaluation following your needs assessment. Project evaluation and prioritization is, you know, as I mentioned, one method where we can incorporate the planning emphasis areas into the planning process. There are other ways, and you should be trying to incorporate those emphasis areas throughout Mm -hmm. the planning process, but this is a key key step in the process where those come into play. Yeah. Um, The last thing I'll mention, us as planners, we need to ensure that this process is data-driven. But I should mention that the data or the evaluation criteria is not always quantitative, right? So sometimes that data is qualitative or even anecdotal from the community. Uh, So therefore, your criteria should be a mixture of kind of art and science to truly develop a list of prioritized projects that's going to meet the needs of your community. Okay, so enough on the background. Let's jump into it. (laughs) So we're going to do four steps to evaluating and prioritizing transportation projects. So Peyton, are you ready to get into the meat of today's episode? Sure, let's get started. So the first step to evaluating and prioritizing transportation projects would be to identify the goals, visions, and priorities among stakeholders. In the traditional planning process, at the most basic level, there are several steps which generally include identifying the visions and goals, studying existing and future conditions, conducting engagement, identifying and evaluating projects to address the needs, identifying funding resources and creating a fiscally constrained project list, and developing an implementation plan. Ideally, the project evaluation and prioritization process ought to mimic that of the traditional planning process. And the National Association of City Transportation Officials, or NACTO, found that a strong vision from the top was at the core of every process that successfully supported a city's effort to build priority projects. The goals of this process ought to be broad, clear, and have a measurable output. Furthermore, NACTO recognized that explicit support from leadership, such as city council members, mayors, and others, would better set the direction for which projects could be prioritized into the future. Yeah, I mean, I would just say you've always got to have a champion for that vision, right? And you can't have enough champions. And a lot of times you can find those in your city council members and mayors and elected officials. So you want to get them involved early on and have ownership in that vision. Yeah. And one one good way to do that is um, if you have like an advisory committee or a stakeholder committee, have a representative from city council in those meetings. That's what we did for the city of Canton. And they had a transportation committee on their council. And so the chair of that committee participated in all of our stakeholders. And she was a true champion for us at public meetings, during council meetings. Yeah. And I think that that really helped with the success of that uh, master plan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I can mimic that for South Downtown as well. We had city council member Jason Dozier, I believe, who had provided a lot of really good feedback for what's going on in South Downtown, any kind of initiatives for the future. Yeah. Shout out to Councilman Dozier. Thanks for your participation. City of Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so ultimately step one in developing a project evaluation and prioritization is to identify what is most important to those that are administering the strategic planning efforts to begin with, whether that be an agency director or other supporting staff. The agency and staff will often have visions and goals set for a number of components in the transportation network, such as return on investment and economic benefits, the relative project costs, the project readiness, so how quickly that can be implemented, safety, connectivity, environment, and infrastructure conditions or other considerations. If you're not quite sure where to get started, you can always start with eight federal planning emphasis areas to establish goals that we have previously discussed. You can also look at the agency's previous planning efforts. Perhaps they have some guiding principles for the future. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that Peyton and I have done several project evaluation and prioritizations together over the last uh, few years. I think the most recent one that we worked on was uh, the Cherokee County Comprehensive Transportation Plan here in Metro Atlanta. Um, and how many projects do we have to evaluate, Peyton? Was it like 300? Yeah, it was close 350. to 300. <laughs> so he remembers that just goes to show. You're, <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was a process, and it was a lot of back and forth, right? So we use the evaluation kind of as a framework to get it into these tiers, but then working with the county, you know, trying to explain why a project scored high, why a project scored low, and them saying, well, we need to move this around or we need to move this around. So kind of that, as I mentioned, that balance of taking what you're hearing from your community, what you're hearing from the leadership, and what your data process is saying, kind of putting all of that together to come out with a plan that's going to be um, accepted by the community. Yeah, and, and another example, I would say the Southern Fulton Comprehensive Transportation Plan that we led a couple of years ago and was award-winning, by the way. Um, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> so that one was interesting or unique because it wasn't just one city or one county. It was eight cities within the southern portion of one county. So we had eight jurisdictions eight cities plus unincorporated Fulton County and they didn't you know there were some competing priorities um, and so we met with each of the eight cities one-on-one -on -one, and we had a bus tour with all of them on board um, where we went and drove around all the transportation networks so they could see firsthand some of the challenges. We had a mayor's charrette where all the mayors from the eight jurisdictions were there as well as other elected officials. And we did, you know, a sticky dot exercise to figure out what their priorities were. And we did surveys and all this stuff. And, and you know, because some cities were prioritizing maintenance for their roads where other ones wanted more transit, for example. So we really had to first figure out what are their priorities and are they competing with one another? And then later we'll kind of talk about what we did to successfully adopt that plan and get consensus among all eight cities as part of the project evaluation and prioritization process. Yeah, that one was really complicated mm -hmm. because I remember we had projects that crossed jurisdiction yep. boundaries. Oh, yeah. And trying to figure out how to prioritize those. Um, but even further, how do you estimate the cost split between those? Mm -hmm. And how do you get everything to balance into that fiscally constrained plan? It was um, it was definitely a challenging project, but I think because we had a really solid process, 
you know, we were able to get that done. And, and I, I know you mentioned, talk about how we got it adopted. And one thing I just want to add to that as it relates to, because it just dawned on me for that project, typically, or a lot of times you'll see um, planners do pro- come up with the project evaluation and prioritization framework further in the study. And it's, you know, after they've come up with the projects, it could be as far as after they've come up with the projects to evaluate or at least what the project needs are or what the what the needs are. What we like to do and what we did with this study and recommended at the beginning of the study, we said, hey, look, we recognize this is going to be challenging with this many jurisdictions. We recommend that we move that bad boy right up to the beginning and we do vision goals and objectives and then that goes straight into identifying the project um, prioritization framework that will later be applied that way everyone has ownership in it from the beginning before they start seeing what particular projects are being evaluated right and and it took a and then so we did that and we allotted the time to make sure that that was an engaging process that everyone had ownership on. And man, did that make a difference? It was, I mean, it passed unanimously later. So very, that was, I think, a compelling thing to do it earlier on in the process if you can. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, just going back to it, I, I would actually say that this is one of the strong areas of um, modern mobility partners and and our yeah. planning group is putting together these evaluation and prioritization. So we've done it for several projects and um, feel like we have a pretty good process down, but always room for improvement. So we're always looking for new ways to do things or new things mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've already said it, but, you know, this really is an important step to establish a foundation for the plan because everything else hinges on it. And obtaining that consensus among leadership and the community, which, you know, we'll talk about next, is really critical to building ownership of the plan and as consultants preventing rework later on when you have the results. Um, And we have to remember that as planners, yes, there are similar overlapping needs and priorities that many communities have, but that also each community is different and those that live and work there day in and day out, whether they're stakeholders in the community will know better than us as to what they need and value. So it's especially important when you have two adjacent jurisdictions where the stakeholders may have competing priorities, like we were talking about. Um, Cause you could have one city that's trying to increase their job base and improving industrial development left and right. And as a result, the neighboring community, is getting all this truck traffic and their priority is not to have all this truck traffic. So discussing the impacts of land use and zoning decisions on their own transportation network and the trade-offs, as well as engaging the neighboring community stakeholders to discuss the impact on their transportation network and their community priorities is also part of that consensus or at least awareness building that is necessary when conducting plans that involve more than one jurisdiction. So the second step in the project evaluation and prioritization process is to ensure citizen involvement and weight their opinions accordingly. In planning, it's our job and obligation to ensure that members of the public, specifically those that are most impacted by a project in a community, county, or any other sort of municipality, have a voice for those types of projects that are being planned for. The National Cooperative Highway Research Program, or NCHRP, 
identifies public engagement as crucial due to three reasons, those being the ability to develop public support for programs and plans, the ability to identify mitigation strategies with stakeholders, and last, the ability to educate the public on the level of investment needed for given projects. That can also be seen in the show notes in the future. So there are many different techniques through which citizens can be involved in the project prioritization process, whether it is focus groups, surveys, or charrettes, and it is important to understand the public's perception considering that they know the ins and outs and experience the transportation network as it is each day of their lives. The planners ought to get consensus input on the goals and objectives from step one and step two before starting the evaluation. Yeah, and I mean, I think something that just came to mind is like, you know how everybody, you know, automatically becomes transportation experts when they're like talking about their community and they know exactly what needs to be fixed and how to fix Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there is some truth to that. Yeah. Right. And I and I think that's yeah. exactly the point that that Peyton's trying to make. You drive it every single day or you're walking it every single day. And you're like, mm-hmm. man, if they would just fix this, it would like it would solve so many issues. Um, and that's the kind of feedback that we're looking for. And that's why this is a this is really important to setting a plan up for success. You know, I mentioned I, th- I think we mentioned earlier that you can establish draft goals from previous studies or from the emphasis areas, but you really need to vet these with the community before you finalize them. And it's worth taking the extra time, like Kelly was talking about, um, Mm -hmm. to meet with the public, meet with your stakeholders' leadership before getting into the project identification and evaluation. Um, I'm just curious, have y'all ever seen a plan that didn't do this? And if, if you have, do you remember kind of what the outcome was? I just know that whenever you don't do it, uh, almost always you're going to have some hiccups when it comes to wrapping up the plan and adoption. And it's usually better to invest the time up front and to get that ownership and consensus in it so you don't have problems on the back end. But yeah, I, I usually don't, nothing good usually comes out of it. <laughs> They don't do it, you know. So, you know, here at Modern Mobility Partners, you know, as we've already kind of mentioned, we've always really attempted to align the project evaluation and prioritization framework with public interest. And we do that by asking them which project components they're most interested in for the community and why. So, for example, with the award-winning Virginia Avenue Smart Corridor project we did a few years ago, The goals of the project were to improve safety, walkability, and mobility right from the get-go. But we needed to vet that with stakeholders in the community and educate them on different smart corridor projects. You know, what were we, what are these smart corridor technologies? And, you know, why are they beneficial and what are their purpose? So, for example, were they interested in a driverless shuttle? And if so, was that to provide additional mobility and economic competitiveness or were they more interested in street lighting and illuminated crosswalks and in some cases even gunshot detection to technology to improve safety? So, you know, it's important that you get into the community and really help educate them, but also hear firsthand. It's like peeling the onion. You know, why is it that they want this project? What problem are they trying to solve? To go into further detail for that, Kelly, in some cases, the public may be most interested in a particular aspect of the plan. Take, for example, some safety components, which may result in more projects relating to intersection realignments or separated bike lanes. 
and additional countermeasures to reduce crashes that have historically happened in the area. Meanwhile, other members of the community could be more interested in creating an environmentally friendly and sustainable and livable area through the means of multi-use paths or a local trail network. And the question becomes, how do you then prioritize based on competing goals? This is where weighting the goals and evaluation categories comes in. The weighting just means you can give more weight or attention to a particular goal or evaluation criteria and projects related to it will perform better under the evaluation process. We've done this in a couple of other areas or projects that we've been involved in in the past, such as Virginia Avenue or Southern Fulton TTP and others. The planners typically start out with everything weighted equally and then based on the feedback from stakeholders and the public, the weights can shift based on what they find important. In the case of Virginia Avenue, we had different scenarios where it was outlined specifically for the public, specifically for the stakeholders, and then a combined aspect as well. Yeah, and it's it's really important not to just arbitrarily apply weights to these different criteria, right? So to Peyton's point, it needs to be based on stakeholder and or community feedback that can be quantified through a survey. So in lots of plans that we've done and, you know, including the Southern Fulton CTP and others, it was, you know, uh, we did a survey to quantify those weights, but in the Southern Fulton CTP, it was even more complicated, like we mentioned before, because we had competing priorities for the region as a whole, as well as for each of the eight individual cities within the study area. However, we were able to come up with a defendable methodology to prioritize projects that the stakeholders and community had ownership in, and the project list and plan passed unanimously in all eight cities as, and as a result, which was quite an accomplishment um, in and of itself. And like I said, it became an award-winning plan. To do that, we surveyed stakeholders and the public by city. So we made sure they filled out what city they were in. And then we came up with the two layer weighted scoring system. So we were, and then we reported back the findings at all the city council meetings, um, or at a city council meeting for each of the cities as well as to the public. So we said, okay, this is um, what your city is showing as your priorities, and this is how it compares to the other cities and also on average for the region as a whole. And we were able to then apply this two-layered weighting approach as a result of that. And so that, that really made a big difference. So to build on that, in 2018, the city of Oakland began its project prioritization for its capital projects. And through that, the city officials began a strenuous public engagement process that reached over a thousand people through meetings, workshops, and focus groups. In that, they sent out a survey and participants were asked to rank the most important factors such as health and safety, equity, existing conditions, the environment, required work or project readiness, improvement and collaboration, and shovel readiness. These components were then weighted based on survey popularity and demographics in the project prioritization scorecard that they had implemented. Yeah, and we did something very similar with our plans and, and including a, a scorecard back to the Southern Fulton one. We had a scorecard for each city that showed how, you know, what the conditions were in each city and their priorities and all of that as well. So it was a very similar process and it bode very well. Yes, yeah, so ultimately agencies utilize similar ranking systems for which transportation components such as safety, environment, connectivity, and equity that the public are most important and weight them accordingly in the project prioritization approach. 
This additional measure allows for the public's opinion to be valued and have an active role in the planning process as opposed to merely checking the box prior to plan adoption as required by federal law. Yeah. Okay, so step three of the project evaluation and prioritization process is to choose and weight the appropriate criteria that align with goals and priorities of the community and stakeholders. There are a number of prioritization methods such as benefit cost analysis, rankings, and optimization. However, the overall output of the prioritization depends on the input criteria. The key considerations and criteria for projects may include um, items such as equity, health and safety, environment resilience, economy, infrastructure conditions, and more. Some of the specific criteria examples that we've utilized in the past include high crash locations and complete streets for planning emphasis areas and project connection to Justice 40 areas to incorporate equity. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have we have used so many different evaluation criteria and measures um, just based on what the yeah. plan is and what the needs are and what we're hearing from the community. And they they range, like I said, from qualitative, quantitative, anecdotal. Um, and so, you know, usually our evaluations um, are pretty robust and we have at least two or three measures yeah. under each evaluation category or evalu- or goal um, to make sure that, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at that goal, like safety, for example, holistically. You know, it's not just, is this in a high crash location, but does this project, in fact, provide a safety benefit? Or, you know, does this impact vulnerable road users like pedestrians and bicyclists? Um Is it, Mm -hmm. does this project open better accessibility to fire stations or emergency response? So, um, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can measure safety. And so we try to think, think through all of that when we're putting these together. Yeah. And to build on that, there are a couple of best practices or examples that other areas have used as well. Specifically in 2021, Ohio DOT specifically made changes to its safety application process by modifying its scoring criteria. And in particular, the applicants in the state with projects that address crash severity in communities with higher levels of poverty were given priority in the application process, as well as a potential reduced funding match for the area. These changes were made due to the fact that fatal and serious injury crashes were overrepresented by 10% in impoverished communities throughout the state. This is merely one example of an agency attempting to prioritize projects in an effort to align its goals to both reduce crashes and improve equity throughout the state. You know, if if I could interject here, this is a good example of um, needing to tweak the prioritization framework um, up front as you get a little further along. So we talked about, okay, ideally you develop your framework early on in the plan. But once you get to your existing and future conditions analysis and needs, you may see things like this, like, okay, we're seeing a trend where there's serious injury crashes um, and, you know, overrepresented in impoverished communities. So let's make sure we give projects a higher score that address that. So let's let's go back and see how we can tweak the framework. So that's a good example of kind of tweaking it as you go along and and at you know early on but before you get to actually 
evaluating the projects, right? So I just wanted to to add that in there, that you want to allow time for that. Yeah, thanks for the additional comment, Kelly. And to go into the next example, so in 2021, Hampton Roads TPO utilized three components in their project prioritization tool for its 2045 long-range transportation plan. And they included things such as including the ability to solve a problem through congestion or travel time reliability, the potential for economic growth being through travel time and delay impacts or labor market access, and project readiness. Ultimately, these two examples provide an example of how chosen criteria is based on the vision, goals, and values of stakeholders and the public involved in the planning process and weighted accordingly. Overall, project prioritization utilizes criteria that is both objective and data-driven in order to score transportation projects that will benefit an area in the most financially feasible way possible. This is a data-driven process that also meets one of the planning emphasis area's goals. Yes, we always want to tie it back to how we're meeting the federal planning emphasis areas. And that's just one way you can do it, but also get credit for it in your plan. (laughs) Okay, so finally, the last step of the project evaluation and prioritization process is to review and validate. This means that planners should again achieve concurrence among agency leadership, as well as the public to ensure transparency by showing the preliminary results of the tool itself. Sometimes the preliminary results and final feedback serve as the final filter for where projects rank for the area. Overall, project prioritization tools enable agencies to determine the effectiveness and impact of given projects in an unbiased and impartial manner. However, the stark reality of the process is that it is not an end-all and be-all by any means. In most cases, local agencies describe project evaluation and prioritization as a mixture between an art and a science, which I think Kirsten mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. So the initial tool is valuable for shortlisting projects, while additional context and support for the area is needed in order to make a final decision, per se. Yeah, I would... I just say like, it's not like you can just say, okay, these projects, say we evaluate 300 projects and the top 100 total up to however much money we have. So we're just going to put all those in the plan. It doesn't always work that way because some projects may be further along than others in different phases, already committed. Um, You you just, you got to, you try to do your best for that, but you have to have a little bit of wiggle room in there as well to have that flexibility. Yeah. And and the other thing that like I always tell, you know, stakeholders or the public or, you know, the leadership that I'm working with, the project evaluation and prioritization process is intended to be a guide. So to to Peyton's yeah. point, it's not the end all be all. This is this yeah. is one piece of getting your final plan together. And it's an important piece, right? But it can guide us in those decisions. But it is not to say that, you know, if you have a project that's ranked 80th, but you already have committed funding, or you think it's going to be really competitive for a grant, and your community is really excited about it, that you shouldn't go after that that project. And and you can make adjustments in your fiscally constrained plan to reflect those things. So... Yeah, just reiterating the point. Yeah, and and two more things. You might find that a project 
um, doesn't perform well in the project prioritization because maybe you didn't count for some different scoping elements that if were added, it would perform a lot better. So for instance, a widening project, but if you were to add in sidewalks and bike lanes, maybe it would perform a lot better, you know, and, and solve a lot more problems. And so that's something to think about as well. And then one other little tip I would just add is, um, I would highly advise that you not release the number of the ranking of individual projects like this project ranked 80th because <laughs> that can cause a whole lot of confusion and, and, and chaos unnecessarily. I think it's better to say rank or, or release them by like either tiers or even better like higher performing, moderately performing, lower performing or something like that and you have them grouped. So you've got some flexibility to move them around within those groupings when you're fiscally constraining the plan because, you know, you could have a project that is a lot cheaper and it may have been lower performing, but you can squeeze that into the plan because it didn't take up as much money. Right. Yeah. To go back on to what you two just discussed, I know in our experience, most clients have received that short list, provided feedback and later given another list to ensure that projects align with the feedback. Um, I think the prime example that, Kirsten, you may be able to speak a little bit more on is South Downtown, um, where we had the initial ranking and had a lot of back and forth between other consultants on the team and then South Downtown in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, I think that was an example that came to mind um, where we did the evaluation, uh, which was pretty quantitative and and but still had a lot of qualitative values in it. So we did have a lot of back and forth with uh, the rest of the consultant team, making sure everybody agreed with those qualitative assessments, especially. Um, and then we presented it to the stakeholders, but we did not provide the individual rankings. Instead, we said these are the highest performing corridors. We presented them in alphabetical order um, and then had them rank those top performing ones. Um, so it was kind of a two-prong approach. We did our evaluation to get a ranking, and then we had the stakeholders rank the highest performing ones, and um, it actually aligned pretty well. There were there were a couple things that we moved around to reflect the, the stakeholders' desires over the evaluation, uh, but for the most part, our ranking and their ranking were pretty similar, which is always nice. Yeah, and I think that really... The way we did that, it really allowed for a, a collaborative system by which agencies can deliver the effective and committed projects or programs that will address issues or priorities that have been identified, both in the short term and long term, and ultimately that it can feed into the fiscally constrained project list and determine where projects may be implemented with guaranteed funding within the given time frame in the short term and long term. All right. Well, we covered a lot today. Um, and so I just want to do a quick recap of Peyton's four steps. So the first one is establishing the vision goal and priorities of the plan or study. Um, the second is incorporating community input. The third is selecting your evaluation criteria. And then the fourth is reviewing and validating your results. Simple as yeah, that, right? Su super simple. <laughs> <laughs> easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. But of course, there's there's a lot of guidance out there on evaluation and prioritization. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to have some of those links in the show notes for you. 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, always, if you're if you need assistance or guidance on your evaluation prioritization, Modern Mobility Partners is always here to help. There's my shameless plug. Yeah, I know. I've lost count on uh, how many of these we've done. I think on almost every project we work on, I feel like we're doing that in some form or fashion. So, um, yes. So, all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in or our one listener. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners, AICP, This episode is eligible for AICP continuing maintenance credits, and you can find all of our podcasts on um, the American Planning Association website at www.planning.org. All you need to do is look at the AICP CM provider search and plug in Modern Mobility Partners, and all of our podcast episodes will come up. So free credits. Um, If you want to learn more about how we can help, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. You can also find a free downloadable cheat sheet for today's episode on our website as well. And uh, last but certainly not least, don't forget to subscribe and even better review our podcast. That is the best way that you can thank us for all this free and fabulous content is to share and give us a five star, five star only review. Um, (laughs) You can find us on Apple, Spotify and any other platforms you listen to your podcast on. And with that, we are over and out. All right. Bye. All right. See y'all. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.